Blog Talk Radio. From Live in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Well, hello, everybody. Um, Welcome to today's program. I am delighted that um, today uh, is another um, rendition of uh, Anytown High School, and the folks at Anytown High School are standing by for their fourth session in um, me assisting them in implementing the collaborative problem-solving approach. So, uh, on the days where I do Anytown High School, there are no uh, callers uh, except for the folks at Anytown because we are going to be busy at work um, uh, trying to implement uh, collaborative problem solving uh, into their practices in their building. Um, so that's uh, the agenda for today's program. And today's agenda, well, I haven't really uh, spoken to the folks at Anytown High School yet today. Um, so we'll have to find out if uh, what I think we're going to be doing today is what we're actually going to be doing today. So let me bring them on the air. Hi there, everybody. Hello. Hello. How are you all today? Good. Um, so let me check in with you all, as is my custom whenever I'm helping a uh, building uh, implement collaborative problem solving, to see how we're doing. In our first three sessions... We uh, had a little overview of collaborative problem-solving approach and talked about our lenses. In the subsequent two sessions, we um, took a look at the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems and tried to identify lagging skills and unsolved problems in one student in particular, a student who we are calling T. And that brings us to today's session. But let me check in with you first to see if anyone has any uh questions or reactions to where we are so far and um perhaps especially what we learned about T when we completed the ELSIP but um give me a sense of where you all are at um because I know my agenda today is to walk you through doing plan B with T and for us to prioritize some of the unsolved problems that we identified uh for her so that we um, can get the ball rolling on getting some of those problems solved. But tell me where you all are at and whether any questions have arisen since the last time we met. After our third session, um, we sat as a team and thought about the um, lagging skills and um, talked about um, prioritizing um, those lagging skills and unsolved problems. Um, and our hope today is to have you guide us in 
using Plan B with those lagging skills as a focus. Outstanding. And there's only one thing I would say about that. Anybody want to add anything else before I say my one thing about what you just said? Okay. We are going to be doing Plan B primarily to solve problems and to indirectly teach lagging skills. And so what we're going to be doing is focusing on a few specific unsolved problems most of the time. And to tell you the truth, from what I heard about T, I didn't there are sometimes some lagging skills that would need to be taught directly. Those are usually some social skills, like starting conversations or entering a group, things like that, could be taught more directly. And especially language processing and communication skills, because sometimes we need to teach in a direct fashion the words that a child needs to use to let us know what their concerns are or to help them participate in the process of generating solutions. But I don't think any of those particular lagging skills are coming into play for T. And that being the case, our focal point, it's not going to be that we're not focused on lagging skills because lagging skills are T's contribution to the challenging episodes that you're having with her. It's just that we're going to go at those lagging skills more through the back door by going through the front door of working on unsolved problems. So um, let me hear what you all prioritize with the uh, condition being that we may try to transform them into specific unsolved problems rather than using Plan B to teach lagging skills directly. Does that all make sense? Sure. Yes. Good. So tell me what some of your priorities were. I can do it. Um, well, we've said that definitely her self-deprecating statements were a big problem for T, and when she reverts back a little bit, it always goes back to those statements of, I'm stupid, I don't get this. Also, social difficulties with certain groups of students, are it's a very powerful force that works against her many times. And also the skill of listening and writing at the same time without getting quite so frustrated. It's seems like she can't handle multitasking in that sense very easily. Got it. So actually, I would call those three unsolved problems, believe it or not. And I'm writing them down now, writing and listening simultaneously. <laughs> um, the difficulties that she's having with some of the uh, girls in her class who are distracting her. Mm-hmm and maybe doing more than just distracting her. We need to find out about that. And self-deprecating statements. Now, that's an interesting one, and here's why. I usually try to transform specific behaviors, which, as you heard in week number one, simply tell us where a student is on what I call the spectrum of looking bad, what the student is looking like when they're having trouble looking good. And self-deprecating statements would be what T does when she's looking bad in response to an unsolved problem. So now let me see if I can transform that into a specific unsolved problem. When does T when is T most likely to make self-deprecating statements? Typically I would say what I've seen is 
when she either is getting frustrated mm-hmm. or or feels like she should be getting something and she's not, then she reverts to, well, I'm just stupid. It doesn't matter anyways. Got it. And I care. This is Zena, and I think her self-deprecating statements a lot of times tie into the listening and writing at the same time. When she's uh, yeah. very fast, if she can't focus in on <clears throat> and figure out exactly what she needs to do or if she misses something, then we see more of those negative words. Yes. And so what you can see that I'm doing here is what I'm trying to do is transform the behavior, self-deprecating statements, into an unsolved problem. Namely, um, well, and, and truth is we've got some redundancy here now because some of, many times these self-deprecating statements occur when she's having trouble writing and listening at the same time. Yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even any other um, – go ahead, sorry. Um, another example would be in, in math class, when she's taking an assessment, um, if she doesn't get a problem, she'll completely start to shut down, and she knows she's shutting down because she says, I'm giving up, I can't do this, I'm not doing it. Um, But she doesn't think to go on and try a different one, but if she just sees one that she doesn't get, then she's not doing the entire assessment. So now we have a decision to make. We could add an unsolved problem, and, and all I would do is trade self-deprecating statements, which is what she looks like when she's looking bad, for a specific condition or unsolved problem in which she's looking bad, namely um, both one of the unsolved problems that we already have, which is having difficulty writing and listening simultaneously, or we could add an unsolved problem, like um, having difficulty understanding um, particular math uh, items. But now we've got a decision to make because we can go forward with three unsolved problems or we can go forward with two unsolved problems. Um, it's fine by me. If we go forward with three, then three different people are going to get practice at doing Plan B with T this week. And if we go forward with two, then only two people are going to get practice. What's your druthers? Can you state what the two or three would be in this situation? Yes. So Number one would be difficulty listening and writing simultaneously. Number two, the girls in her class who are distracting her. Number three, if we choose it, um, difficulty um, completing certain math items. Uh, It's that third one that I have um, sort of morphed from its lagging skill form into an unsolved problem form. Um, what do you all think? Do you want to go forward with two or three? Well, I mean, I think that the third one um, doesn't just apply to math. I think that applies across the board because I think when she doesn't feel like she's capable, she will shut down. And I don't think that's just in math. I mean, I've seen her do that in English class. I mean, I've seen her do that in other situations. So that's from my opinion, I think would be a good one to yeah. focus on. Yeah, I, I sort of agree with Marisol on that one because if we look at the listening and writing piece, for her, if she's working on an assessment, and it's not just in math class with certain problems, it could be in science or English or anywhere else, if she's reading and not comprehending or trying to like read and understand what she's reading at the same time, that can sometimes cause that frustration. 
Well, and here's the interesting piece, and I'm glad that this has come up because it always comes up. I know that we want to work on um, her making self-deprecating statements globally. But to engage T in the conversation, we'll probably have to start more specifically, and I'm really glad that this point is coming up, if we try to start too globally, and here's what Plan B, and we're rushing it here because I'm, we haven't really covered Plan B yet. Here's what Plan B would sound like. Plan B begins with an initial inquiry of the student about a specific unsolved problem. And here's what the inquiry would sound like if we were going global. T, I've noticed that sometimes you get very angry at yourself and um, say things about yourself that are not very kind. What's up? Now, if we go global like that, then T has to think about what we're talking about, uh, has to think about the different situations in which that might happen, has to think about each situation and the degree to which one might be different from another. And that's a lot of thinking for T to do when we are just beginning to inquire about a particular problem. And in many instances, when there's too much thinking to do, when we go too global with the unsolved problem, then, and sometimes going global means simply naming a behavior that occurs in multiple circumstances, then we are heightening the likelihood that the kid will say something like, I don't know, or not respond at all. And so as much as we would like to work on self-deprecating statements globally, we are most of the time better served by working on a much more specific example of it. One of two things will happen if we go more specific. For example, finishing math problems. If we go specific, number one, we may find that there are things about the specific unsolved problem that she's making self-deprecating statements about that applies to many of the others. And we can ask her that once we have the information we need on this specific unsolved problem. And possibly number two is we will find that self-deprecating statements on math problems are not the same thing as self-deprecating statements when she's having trouble writing and listening simultaneously. And, of course, we can find that out in the midst of a particular Plan B as well. But if we, got, if we start too global, we run the risk that T won't talk, if we start specific, we increase the likelihood that you will talk, and we can always broaden it out later in the same plan B. Am I making sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend that we start specific, and I don't want to be pushing too hard here because we're collaborating here, but I'd recommend that we probably add difficulty with certain math problems with the sort of added twist of the things that she says about herself when she's having trouble on the math problems as our third unsolved problem. And then we'll be giving three people practice at Plan B this week. What do you guys think? All right. Then here's what we're going to do. This is probably going to be the last week in which I'm providing a great deal of instruction because after this week, we're going to move me, you all, into practicing mode and me into um, coaching mode. Today I'm still instructing. So this may be slightly tedious, but I'm going to try to make my way through the three steps of Plan B with you before we're done today so that you all are set to, and, and even save some time for questions, 
so that you all are set to try to do Plan B with T this week. And then all that will remain for the, for this week is for us to designate the three people who are going to be trying to do Plan B with T this week on those three different unsolved problems. Sound like a plan? Yep. Yeah. And now, by the way, here's – I should tell you this. You guys have been on it so far. Um, just – I couldn't ask for any more responsive school, a, a group of people who are – doing what they say they're going to be doing. But it is at this point where life sometimes becomes interesting and where um, practicing, uh, we, we are, after this week, going to be in practice mode, and that means we got to practice. So the hope is that after the, this is where some schools start to run into some mud, start to, things start to get slower. The minute we are saying, all right, now we know what plan B looks like. Now we know what it sounds like. All right, now we've got to do some plan B with T and come into supervision next week with some examples of how it went. So just fair warning, this is the week that often slows things down because this is, this is where life starts getting even harder. Okay? Okay. Here we go. As you all already know, because you've read Lost at School, and you've even tried this a little bit, Plan B consists of three steps called the Empathy Step, the Define the Problem Step, and the Invitation Step. You may also know, especially if you've heard me speak lately, that I don't like what I called the three steps because I find that they don't, they aren't as clear as they could be about what's going on in each step. Empathy is actually not the main ingredient of the Empathy Step. Uh, the Define the Problem Step is a fine name, but really isn't very descriptive. And the invitation isn't even a fine name. I used that way back in the day when I liked the idea of inviting kids to solve problems with us. So um, let's not take the names of the steps too seriously. Let's take the ingredients of each step seriously. The main ingredient of the empathy step is information gathering and understanding gathering information about and understanding the student's concern or perspective on a given unsolved problem. Um, so as we've mentioned before, I'm assuming that T has a perspective and some concerns about why diff, uh, writing and listening simultaneously is hard for her. Uh, we know that T has concerns about the girls who are distracting her in her class because, as, if I remember correctly, she's brought them up before. And we know because she's making self-deprecating statements when it happens that when T runs across math problems that she has difficulty with, uh, well, she has concerns or a perspective about those. So what we're looking to do is get T's concern or perspective entered into consideration on each of those three unsolved problems. Now, let me mention one other thing, and this is crucial, timing. There are two forms of Plan B, proactive and emergent. Proactive is far preferable. And the form of Plan B that we want to be doing on these three unsolved problems for sure is proactive Plan B. So we're going to make an appointment with T. Each person who's going to be having a discussion with T about these unsolved problems is going to make an appointment with her. And the only one of the things we need to consider is whether T is going to get overwhelmed because we're working on three things at once. You all would know better than me, something we can think about at the end for sure. 
But um, we're going to make an appointment with her, and maybe even, if we think it's good strategy, and it usually is, give her some advance warning on what it is that we want to talk with her about. Because um, that at least will help her not be surprised that of what we're talking with her about. Sometimes people still feel that as long as they're doing proactive plan B, the kid is almost guaranteed to participate, but... If the topic is a surprise, then the kid had no warning about what they were talking about, and sometimes it's better if the kid has a sense of what we're talking, what we're going to be talking with her about. So we're going to be doing all of this proactively. Um, the because the last thing we'd want to do is wait until T is upset about writing and listening simultaneously to do Plan B then. We don't want to wait until the girls in her class are distracting her before we do Plan B with T at that, that moment. And we don't want to wait until she's frustrated with a math problem to find out why she's making self-deprecating statements when she's running into trouble. We want to do all of this proactively. As I've been saying lately, because unsolved problems are 99.9% .9 predictable, the Plan B that we do in schools should be 99.9% proactive. And of course, this represents the greatest organizational hurdle for many schools. Because in a lot of schools, intervention tends to be in the heat of the moment or immediately thereafter. And that's a big reason the unsolved problems of challenging students remain unsolved, is we've got the timing all wrong. We're, we're doing plan B at the worst possible moment when the student is already upset, bad timing. We want to be doing this proactively with T, and we're going to make an appointment with her and give her some advance warning about what the topic of discussion is. All right, good. So enough of that. Plan B usually starts with the words, I've noticed that. And then what we're doing is we're inserting, whoever's doing, let's say, problem number one with T, we're inserting the highly specific unsolved problem into the sentence after I've noticed that, and then we are finishing this initial part of the empathy step with an, with an initial uh, inquiry like, what's up? So here's how it would sound. I've noticed that um, sometimes it's hard for you to write and listen at the same time. What's up? Now, if I wanted to be even more specific about that so that he could connect that unsolved problem with a specific experience, I could make it even more specific by adding a particular assignment or a particular class in which that seems to give her particular difficulty. That would make it even more specific. I've noticed, here's problem number two, that when um, that group of girls distracts you in class, that's very frustrating for you. What's up? Once again, I could make that even more specific just so that T could connect it with her experience if I added a particular class or a particular activity in which that occurred. Now, after we say what's up, one of six things is going to happen next. Possibly number one, T is going to say something. Possibly number two, T is going to say nothing. Possibly number three, T is going to say, I don't know. Possibly number four, T is going to say, and I have a feeling T is not going to say this one, but it happens. I don't have a problem with that. Possibility number five, T is going to say, T or any other student, uh, I don't want to talk about it. And possibility number six, T is going to get defensive and say something like, I don't have to talk to you. Believe it or not, those are the six most common things that happen after we say, what's up? Let's take them one at a time. If T says 
something, um, like um, I've noticed that you sometimes have difficulty writing and listening at the same time in uh, social studies. What's up? And T says something, which is a good thing. Let's say she says, um, I just don't like it. Well, the goal of the empathy step is to achieve the clearest possible understanding of a student's concern or perspective on a given unsolved problem, and I just don't like it isn't very clear, which means we have just arrived at the hardest part of doing the empathy step, maybe the hardest part of doing all of Plan B. We're going to have to probe for more information. We're going to have to gather more information so that we can understand T's concern or perspective better, and I've come to call that, oops, didn't turn off my cell phone, that wasn't good. I've come to call that drilling for information. And drilling is where most people who are new to Plan B and even many people who um, have them practice under their belts run into trouble. Um, so let's talk in some depth about drilling. Drilling is simply where you're probing for more information. The hard part about it, and many adults would love to have more information, they're just not sure how to get it. So what I've done, because I've seen that this is hard for people, is reduced drilling to its basic component parts. You're drilling, if you're asking follow-up questions beginning with the words why, excuse me, what, who, where, when. So not why. I don't usually like why too much. Who, what, where, when. Any sentence beginning with that, probably drilling. Drilling can involve uh, asking the student why the unsolved problem occurs under some circumstances and not others. Maybe T has difficulty writing simultaneously in social studies but not in math or not in some other class that involves listening and writing simultaneously. Maybe not, but that could provide us with information about what her concern or perspective is on that unsolved problem. Drilling can involve breaking the unsolved problem down into its component parts, writing and listening simultaneously, like many other unsolved problems, has component parts. And kids often don't think in component parts, so when we ask them a question about something that's a little more global, writing and listening at the same time, they aren't necessarily able to think about the specific components that could be causing trouble, and therefore say, I don't know, because they just couldn't think of what components were involved in that particular activity. We'll have to think of the components for T, possibly, and think about what components are getting in her way. Drilling, this is the fourth component of drilling, can involve asking a child what they are thinking in the midst of the unsolved problem. And notice I didn't say feeling. If I find that if I ask a student what they're feeling, and I'm not allergic to doing that, but if I ask them what they're feeling, they're likely to say some variant of happy, sad, or mad. And um, happy, sad, and mad and its variants and their variants don't really tell us what the student's concern or perspective are, so I don't usually ask what they're feeling because I find that what they're feeling isn't usually terribly informative. Finally, drilling involves clarifying statements like, how so? What do you mean? I don't quite understand. Can you say more about that? Statements like that 
that are neutral, but that keep a kid talking. And, well, that's what we're trying to do in the empathy step. We're trying to gather information so that the kid keeps talking. And that's what we're going to be doing with T. And what we're looking for here is our aha moment, the moment at which we say, aha, I finally understand what T's concern or perspective is on this unsolved problem that has been setting in motion some of her challenging episodes for a very long time. Aha. An important theme here, don't be a genius. Many adults enter Plan B thinking they already know what the student's concern or perspective is on a given unsolved problem. And um, that's all well and good, except that my observation is that the vast majority of times that we think we already know, we are already wrong in which case we want to go into the empathy step and drilling with a completely open mind. Yes, at some point along the way, if T has absolutely no idea, and I don't think T is going to have absolutely no idea, given what I've heard about her, but at some point you, we could come in, uh, across a student that has no idea, in which case it might be okay further down the road to do some hypothesis testing or some educated guessing, but for the most part, the empathy step is a solution-free zone and a genius-free zone as well. We uh, don't know what her concern or perspective is. We are drilling for information to find out. So a few other pointers, and then we'll move on to some of the other possibilities that could occur if we say what's up. Um, a teacher once said to me, what should I be thinking during the empathy step? And my response was, um, great. number one, great question. And number two, what you should be thinking probably is, what don't I understand yet about T's concern or perspective on this unsolved problem? What, what part of the picture is incomplete for me? If I, if I were to put myself in T's shoes, what don't I understand yet? And therefore, what should I be asking so as to understand it better? And along these lines, hmm, pregnant pauses are okay. Kids hang in there better when adults aren't sure what to ask next than they do when, number one, adults are sure that they already know, so they're asking leading questions, or when adults feel so much pressure to ask the next question that it becomes apparent that, the adult had the next question ready before the student was finished with their answer to the last question, and it's the student's answer to the last question that should lead to the next question. Sometimes it's okay not to know what to ask until you've given the issue some thought. Um, kids hang in there when adults aren't sure what to ask next. They just appreciate your curiosity. They appreciate that you really want to know. And, um, of course, the theme here is better to overdrill and annoy T than to underdrill and move into the subsequent two ingredients of Plan B with only a very vague sense of T's concern or perspective on one of the unsolved problems that you're talking with her about. And here's another crucial model before we move on. Um, 
we're not ready to move on beyond the empathy step until we really feel like we have the clearest possible sense of con- uh, a sense of understanding of T's concern or perspective on the unsolved problem we're talking with her about. We're not in a rush. We're really curious. We really want to know what T's thinking about each unsolved problem. Um, That's the empathy step and drilling if a student actually says something in response to what's up. Any questions about any of that so far? Then let's move on to the other possibilities for what T might say when we say what's up. She might say, I don't know, or she might say nothing at all. Now, here's a few rules of thumb for dealing with I don't know or uh, saying nothing. First of all, make sure you're actually doing, first of all, don't freak out. That's that's rule number one. If you're going to be doing plan B with students, then within each within each plan B, you've got about a 60 to 70% likelihood of running into I don't know or um, silence. And so we can't let I don't know or silence freak us out. We're going to hang in there and just tr- keep drilling, to tell you the truth, to get past I don't know or silence. But we also want to make sure of a few things. We want to make sure that we are truly doing proactive plan B. Because if this is plan A, T's not going to talk. And if this is emergency plan B, then we have greatly reduced the likelihood of T talking because it's already too hot and too rushed. Another important reminder. We want to make sure that our neutral observation in the empathy step, what we're saying after I've noticed that, was truly neutral and truly specific. If it's not specific enough, we increase the likelihood of T saying I don't know or going silent. So if we get I don't know or silence, another thing we might want to ask ourselves is, hmm, maybe I wasn't specific enough about the unsolved problem for her to know what I'm talking about. I should ask that. If the neutral observation isn't neutral, in other words, if we're through a, a few judgments in there or a few characterizations in there, the kids don't like those at all, especially since they're frequently wrong, in which case they won't talk to us under those circumstances either. And as I always say, if she's not talking, we're not gathering information. If we're not gathering information, we're not going to understand T's concern or perspective on this unsolved problem, and this unsolved problem is going to remain unsolved. We're going to be neutral. We're going to be specific. We're going to be proactive. If we're all of those things and T still isn't talking, then bottom line is we just need to figure out what kind of I don't know or silence this is. My sense is that you all have done some talking with T and that she's a talker. So I think maybe we're not likely to get I don't know or silence out of T, but who knows, she might surprise us. Um, If we do, we just want to figure out what kind of I don't know or silence it is. And um, we've just passed through the adult reasons that we might get an I don't know out of T. And I must say that the vast majority of I don't knows or silence I get out of kids have more to do with the adult reasons than they do with the kid reasons, but some of the kid reasons might include she doesn't trust us yet, um, she doesn't feel comfortable confiding this information, she, she might still think we're using plan A, she might not understand what we're doing here, 
she may not have given the matter much thought. We may never have asked about these things before. Lots of reasons that a kid might say, I don't know. Our job is to try to get a feel for what T's reasons for saying, I don't know, or going silent might be. And then, as once again, a last resort, as I mentioned earlier, if we really can't get much out of T on this, she, she really doesn't know, uh, or she's having trouble saying, then we can feel free to do some educated guessing or some hypothesis testing. Um, and here's what that sounds like. Well, um, I'm wondering, could it be thus and such? Or could it be thus and such? And all we're doing here, we're not becoming geniuses again. We are simply proposing uh, potential uh, concerns and seeing if any of them resonate with T. And I do tend to think of that um, as, I lost my train of thought here, a last resort. Um, we really want to see if we can get the information out of T so as to make absolutely certain that we are um, not steering the ship and not leading the witness. What if she says, I don't have a problem with that. That's just the beginning of her concern or perspective. Many adults freak out over that, too, because they think to themselves, well, wait a minute. If I have a problem with it, but she doesn't have a problem with it, then how are we going to do plan B? I don't have a problem with it. It's just the beginning of a student's concern or perspective on a given unsolved problem. So all we're really going to do is drill further, and here's what that might sound like. Uh, T, I've noticed that... Um, when the girls are distracting you in uh, science class, that's very upsetting for you. What's up? I don't have a problem with it. Oh, you don't have a problem with it? No. Help me understand that. Huh? I don't know. I don't know because I've seen you get very upset about it, which says to me that maybe you do have a problem with it. But now you're saying you don't have a problem with it. Can you help me understand that? What I mean is, you're not going to be able to do anything about it anyway, so what's the point in talking about it? Ah, I don't have a problem with it has just been transformed into I do have a problem with it, I just don't have any faith that y'all are going to be able to do anything about it. Good, now we're starting to move and gather some information. Perfect. What if she says, I don't want to talk about it right now. This is an important one to, to spend some time on. And by the way, we may not make it all the way through Plan B today, but I'm going to see if we can. You know what? Actually, I'm going to stop rushing because we only have about seven minutes left. I'm not rushing. We're only going to make it through the empathy step today. And all we're going to have you practice this week is the empathy step with T, um, which actually is not a bad way to go about doing things because then you're going into your first Plan B without thinking about three ingredients you're going in just to think about one, the empathy step. Let's master the empathy step this week. So let's just practice it. And then we'll move on to the other two steps next week. So I'm going to slow up a little bit. And then we'll have some time for questions, too, and we'll prioritize, and that will take us to the end of the program today anyways. Um, we want to take our time with uh, – I don't want to talk about it right now – because the last thing we'd want to do is not respect that. Because if we don't respect it, then we've just greatly reduced the likelihood of T 
talking to us tomorrow. And we don't want to do anything today that's going to reduce the likelihood of T talking with us tomorrow. So we're going to do what I have come to refer to as just respecting what's sitting in front of us. First of all, it's good form to give Pete permission not to talk. Uh, you know what? You, you don't have to talk about it. In other words, we don't want T talking so badly that we're willing to blow through what's sitting in front of us. What's sitting in front of us is a kid who's just given us some very important information, not exactly music to our ears, because we were very much hoping that she would um, talk. But just because she's not talking today doesn't mean she won't talk tomorrow. We just want to respect what's sitting in front of us, though, so that we don't do anything to reduce the likelihood of her talking tomorrow. Um, we're giving her permission not to talk, and we might even be asking her if she might be able to help us understand why she doesn't want to talk about it today. Sometimes kids who don't want to talk about a particular issue will talk about why they don't want to talk about a particular issue. And um, now at least she's talking. And sometimes in talking about why she doesn't want to talk about it, she's okay segueing into what it was that she didn't want to be talking about in the first place. Not that that's what we're shooting for, because our priority is to respect what's sitting in front of us. And then finally, what if a student says, um, I don't have to talk to you. I'm going to respect that too. And probably just um, reassure them. No, you don't have to talk to me. You're not my boss. No, I'm not your boss. You can't make me talk. No, I can't make you talk. I'm just trying to understand. Um, that's what the empathy step of plan B is about, understanding. And um, lots of kids, once they are reassured on the fact that this is not plan A, many many kids who we might try to talk to have long, illustrious, Plan A histories, and that's what they think we're doing because that's what they know. Nope, this isn't Plan A. We're just trying to understand. Lots of kids are happy to be understood so long as they don't feel that we're doing Plan A. So let's, we've got about two minutes left in today's program. I told you there was going to be a fair amount of talking today. But any questions about the empathy step before we decide Who's going to be doing plan, the empathy step of Plan B with T on these three unsolved problems this week? Any questions? Yeah, this is Zena. Um, is it appropriate to take notes, or is that something that throws kids off, and should you just try to remember the dialogue that you've shared? Great question. I tend to start off not taking notes because I think it looks a little too formal. But... Once the kid is talking, if a kid starts talking and I don't think I'm going to be able to remember anything, then the, the fact that the kid is talking tells me that they are comfortable with the process, and therefore the comfort thing has now been satisfied. And then I'll frequently say to them and say, uh, look at them and say, you know what, I'm not going to remember all this stuff. Do you mind if I write some of this stuff down so I don't forget? That's how I usually do it. I don't like to start looking quite so formal. Any other questions? Is it always one-on-one, -on -one or could you have another um, adult in the room?
for this for this week. Well, number one, it's great to have another adult in the room. But for this week, for like coaching purposes, for this week, we might want to think about the the the, the premium is on the specific conditions that we think are most conducive to T actually talking. That's what we're shooting for this week. Now, here's here's what I think we're going to do, because we're about to run out of time for this week. First of all, feel free to email any other questions that you might have, and we'll make sure that we cover them next week. But secondly, why don't you all decide, independently of the program, who's going to be doing Plan B with T this week on those three unsolved problems? And do plan B with T this week on those three unsolved problems. Let's have one person per unsolved problem. And next week, let's next time we meet, which won't be next week, it'll be the following week, let's um, hear how it went and try to be as explicit as possible so that I can give you as explicit coaching as I possibly can. Sound like a plan? Mm-hmm. I have a question about it, though. If we're meeting with T this week, is she then going to have a week of nothingness, and should we fill that gap with something, or should we try to spread out our Plan Bs across those two weeks before we talk again? Well, one option is to um, for us to try to meet next week if you all want to. I can do that if you'd like. That's a possibility only because the following week um, we will be on our spring break. Ah, so then let's last meet next week. Okay. Let's meet next week at this time if you all can do it, and then we'll take the following week off from the program. Okay. Sound good? Yep. Sounds good. Good deal. I will uh, talk to you all next week. Good luck with the Thank empathy step of Plan B. Okay. Take care. Okay. Well, we went over a little bit, but that's okay. Those of you who are listening live got to hear the program all the way through, including that last question. Um, Great. And we'll have any town high school back with us next week. Even greater. Talk to you then.